Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Well, good morning, Faith Church. For those of you that don't know me, I'm, I'm Pastor Brian. I'm the discipleship and outreach pastor here uh, at Faith Church. Uh, and this morning, I have the, uh, the privilege and the pleasure of opening up the Word of God with you. And this morning, I, uh, I get to talk about, I get to preach about one of my favorite topics, which is discipleship. Right? Imagine that. And uh, the, the, we're going we're gonna to look at the Great Commission and what the Great Commission tells us about being and making disciples. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> a little bit about my own story. I was not raised in, raised in a, a Christian home um, or, or in the church. And so I, I came to a saving faith. I was about 19 years, I think I was 19 years old. I was in boot camp. And there was a, uh, there was a chaplain who was faithful to the Great Commission and he shared the gospel. I came to a saving faith. And then uh, I didn't really know much about what it meant to be a Christian or how to be. I never read the Bible. I didn't know that kind of stuff. And then about nine months later, I found myself in Okinawa, Japan for my first duty station. Um, and when I got there, the first couple of days I was there, there was a couple of, a couple of other young Marines who didn't, didn't know me from anybody else. And they were also being faithful to the Great Commission. And they invited me to a Bible study. They were just trying to bring people along and, and, and read the Word with them. And so I went to that Bible study. I found out that a lot of those folks were involved in another ministry out there. It's called Cadence International. Some of you may have heard of it. I know some people in our church are very familiar with that ministry. And there was a missionary out there, and he, he specifically to the military, to the Marines that were on that base in Okinawa. And, um, and I remember one day, so, so I'm going to the Bible studies. I'm growing in my faith. I'm learning a lot. And then I remember one day I'm actually washing dishes at the missionary's house. And there's an older Marine. He's been in for probably about 20 years. He was a master sergeant. And um, I remember him looking at me and saying, hey, Brian, who are you accountable to? And I gave the, uh, the I've been walking with God for two, month an two months answer. And I said, I'm accountable to God, of course. And he said, that's true. Not a wrong answer. He said, but I want you to pray. He said, I want you to pray that God would bring somebody in your life that would, that, that, that would take you under his wing and help you and help you to grow, help you to understand, read the word with you and, and, and help teach you a lot of those things. And, and so, I, so, and, and so within, I prayed about that and within a couple weeks, that missionary said, hey, how would you like to start meeting together one-on-one -on -one and learning more about this? Absolutely. Um, and so that began this, this domino effect of, of when I left there, he introduced me to another uh, ministry and some other folks when I went to, to Camp Pendleton in San Diego um, that also did that type of ministry with Marines and, and discipleship. And, and then I got involved in local churches. And, and, and then at some point, somebody looked at me and said, the Great Commission applies to you as well. So now you should pray about who you can meet with and who you can help. And maybe you can lead a Bible study. And so it was passing that on. And, and I don't tell you that story to tell you that I've got this discipleship, discipleship thing figured out because I don't. I don't. I tell you that because I want you to know that, that I'm just one testimony of how God uses ordinary people who are faithful to the Great Commission to make an impact for Christ by making disciples. And I don't have all the answers. I, I'm just here to open up the Word of God and tell you that God is passionate about his disciples and about disciple making. So before I go any further, allow me to pray. Father, we are so humbled to be here. You are a good and gracious God and, and you are good and gracious to give us your son that he would 
die on the cross for our sins so that we can be considered children of God. We could be followers and disciples of you. We're also thankful for the good and gracious gift of your word and what it tells us. God, I ask that you would speak through you, that you would speak your words to your people this morning, that you would have your way with us, that you would teach us to love you more, to worship you greater, and to serve you. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. All right, so the title of the sermon is Be Disciples and Make Disciples. Be a disciple and make more disciples. And, and the text we're in is a familiar one for most of you, for many of you. It's, it's, so it's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's what just about everybody considers the great commission. Allow me to read this for you. You can follow along in your Bibles or up here on the screen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So the, the main idea of my sermon is that disciples of Jesus submit to his authority, obeying his command to make more disciples. So as disciples, we submit to that authority by obeying his command, which here is to make more disciples. And it was not a difficult main idea to come up with, um, as you can see from this passage, uh, yet it's one of the most challenging and crucial, crucial commands that we have in the scriptures. And in this passage, there's a number of things related to discipleship. The ones that I want to highlight is I want to highlight what we see as a disciple's heart, a disciple's commission, and a disciple's strength. So let's first look at a disciple's heart because this interaction here that we, that we see between Jesus and the disciples, it, it gives us a glimpse into what the heart of the disciples is like. First, we have a heart of obedience. So to give a little context, this is right after uh, the resurrection. By the time they're on this mountain, they've certainly heard that Jesus has been resurrected. There's a good chance that they may have already seen him at one point, um, according to some of the other gospel stories. Um, but they, they, so there's a thousand things running through their minds. Right? What do we do now? Is, is our time with Jesus just beginning or is it just ended? How, how long is he going to be back for? Is all this stuff even really happening? But regardless of those feelings, here's what we do know. Those disciples walked nearly a hundred miles from Jerusalem to Galilee to meet with Jesus on that mountain. Because they believed, because their hope was in him, they obeyed. They did what they were told to do by their Lord and Savior. And you know what happened in their obedience? Is Jesus showed up just like he promised he would. And, and, and the response of the disciples here for us is exemplary. It's a response of worship. Because not only did the disciples have a heart of obedience, they had a heart of worship. But in order for us to talk about worship, I, I want to talk about this other word that we see here that could throw us off. It says, it says that they worshipped, but some doubted. 
Some doubted. Now, some scholars have, have tried to explain this away by saying that the ones who doubted were probably other disciples other than the 11. I don't think that needs to be the case. Uh, in fact, we, we read that 11 are there. We don't read about anybody else. Uh, the other gospels, Luke 24 tells us that there was an element of, of doubt among the disciples after the resurrection. We know that Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can actually touch him and see his, his wounds. So is it really unreasonable for us to accept that the disciples had some lingering doubt? Is that, and, and is that really such a bad thing? Because I think it should serve to remind us that the disciples were only human. They were imperfect people like you and I. And what about you? you? You may be a believer and you worship Jesus. Do you still struggle with doubt sometimes? Maybe you're unsure of what, what God's doing in your life or why he's doing it a certain way. And that's the sort of doubt that we actually read about in this passage because even the Greek word here, it resembles the word hesitate or uncertainty. I think the disciples probably had good reason to be a little uncertain or unsure of, of the things that were going on considering everything that had happened. And that's okay. Because even though they doubted, God still called them brothers. And they still walked a hundred miles in obedience. And they still worshipped. Because the most important thing, church, is, is how we respond to Jesus in our doubt. Do we turn and obey and worship or do we ignore and rebel? He invites ordinary, imperfect, uncertain people to participate in the Great Commission if they will obey. And then Jesus speaks to the disciples' uncertainty here on the mountain. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. All authority. How do we respond to one who is in authority? We submit, which is the third heart attitude that we see here of a disciple. It's a heart of submission. The theme of Jesus' authority is not new here. Matthew himself has talked about it at least eight times about the kingdom um, or the authority of Jesus. Jesus speaks about it often in the Gospels. Paul speaks of it multiple times. Some of the greatest prophecies we have in the Old Testament speak to the authority of Jesus. Daniel 7 uh, mentions that, that to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. But here, here in the Great Commission, we have perhaps the most direct statement from Jesus himself about his authority. He takes all that other stuff that's been said, all the other things that uh, ha have referenced him, and he says, that's me. I am God. Jesus says he is God. He says, I have all authority. Not some authority, not most authority, not some limited authority, all authority. And like I said before, the proper response to that authority is submission. If we're submitted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then we will obey him. Right? The easy illustration here is with our children. Right? If our children do not obey, it means they're rebellious. If we do not obey God, we are rebellious. It's the opposite of submission. Some of us understand this from our jobs or our careers as well, especially if you have a more, in a more hierarchical career, like when I was in the military, where you know, if a peer came to me and said, hey, why don't we do this? I would be like, yeah, maybe. Right? But if they came and said the commanding officer wants to do this, well, okay, we should probably do that. 
then sometimes they would drop the general bomb and they would come and say, the general said we're going to do this. And then you drop what you're doing and you do it because of the level of authority. And what we see here is that the disciples are hearing from God himself. And we as his disciples are hearing from God himself. So regardless of our doubts or our circumstances, regardless of our emotions, if we call him Lord and we mean it, then we obey, we worship, and we submit. I want to talk for a moment to those of you that might not be disciples right now. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ or haven't believed in, him, believed in him, I would tell you that the rest of what I'm about to say doesn't matter unless you become a disciple, unless you know Jesus as your Savior. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could escape the wrath and the punishment of God and spend eternity with him in heaven. And I think the response is the same. It's obedience and worship and submission. You obey, but instead of obeying the command to make disciples, if you don't know him yet, obey the command to repent and believe in Jesus as your Savior. And worship Him. Worship for Him for what He's done for you through His Son. And submit. Submit your will to Him. And, and, and allow Him to be not just Savior, but Lord. But in this case, what He's telling us, those are, who are His disciples, is that we are to submit to his authority. And so what is it that we're being asked to submit to here in this passage? It's that mandate. It's that commission. And to be honest, church, I don't think we really grasp the weight or the importance or the urgency of this. The Great Commission is the mission of the church, the church, and our church. It's right there. What, what, what is our church's mission statement? Proclaim Jesus and what? Make disciples. We didn't just make that up. It's not the great suggestion or the great recommendation or a great idea. It's not just some cool thing we hang on a banner. It's the great commission. Yet we can be so dismissive of it sometimes. How often, church, are we burdened by command to make disciples? Because what God is saying to us in the commission is that our purpose, our calling as disciples or followers of Christ is to make more disciples. I'm betting, I bet that some of you, I know I do, struggle with, with understanding your, your purpose in life and even as a Christian and, and maybe what God wants you to do. And I think that embracing and understanding this commission can actually help us with that. Because if you are a rocket scientist, which we have a few in this church, or a teacher, or a greeter at Walmart, or a stay-at-home mom, perhaps your calling is to be a rocket scientist or a teacher, or a greeter or a stay-at-home mom, but your purpose in that calling is to make disciples. I'm convinced that if we just embraced our calling to make disciples, we'd actually be more content with where God has us. So let's look at this practically. Let's look at what Jesus says that this looks like. What does it look like to make disciples? How do we do it? Well, first, he begins by saying, he says, therefore. So we know that what he's about to say is not divorced of what he just said about his authority. Because what he said is, I am God. And if you truly believe that I am the Lord, then this is what you will do. And first he says, go. 
I want to talk for a minute about what it means to go. The Greek word here is actually very helpful. It's a continuous present verb. So it's not this future, when you go, or you need to go. It's as you go, or more, more accurately, it's as you are going. He's saying, as you are going, make disciples. Sure, he did intend for them to go to various places, don't get me wrong. But he's saying, he, but what he's telling them is, as you are going to the places you go, as you are going about your life, make disciples. What does that mean for us? It means that you don't have to go to the tribes of Papua New Guinea or to sub-Saharan Africa to make disciples. Now, you certainly can, and some people must, and we would love to send people to those places from our church, but that's not the, that, that going is not the prerequisite for making disciples. The fact is, church, that you already go. When you leave this building, you go. You go places that I don't go. You go places that Pastor Mike doesn't go. You go to your home, to your family. You go to your neighborhood. You go to work. You go to school. You go to your social activities and, and, and to your favorite coffee shop and sit outside because coronavirus is inside. And so, you be, but you are, you are going places. And what Jesus is saying is that you, as you are going to these places, as you are going about these things, Make disciples. Make disciples in your home. Make disciples in your neighborhood. Make disciples at your work. Make disciples at your school. And make disciples in your social and recreational networks and activities. And then in regards to this idea of where we're going, he says to go. And then he does say to make disciples of all nations. So let's talk briefly about all nations. And like I said, this does mean that the gospel needs to go to the end of the earth. But I do want to take you back for a moment to, to Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. And, and Jesus is talking to the same disciples here. And he actually told them, it says, the, uh, These twelve Jesus sent out, and he instructed them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So back then he told them, We still have work to do here. Don't go to those other places yet. We still have work to do here. But now, now the work is complete. Remember, it is finished. Now, Jesus is telling them it's time to take the good news everywhere. So you could think of it not necessarily as a geographical command to go to all nations, but as a demographical command that sometimes requires going to different geographical regions. But don't think that you can't make disciples where you're at now. You're probably thinking, all right, Brian, that sounds great. How do I do that? How do I make disciples? Well, Jesus addresses that too. And he gives us two basic ingredients for making disciples. The first thing he tells us after going is to baptize. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what that means Practically, Does that mean you're supposed to go around and throw water on people or dunk them in pools whenever you see it? Some of you probably want to, uh, but that's not what he is saying here. That should be the goal. Don't get me wrong. We want to baptize people. And I do think that that's ultimately what he's getting at. But I want you to think about how that applies to each one of us. Think about what baptism represents. It's a declaration of our identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
So our first role in the Great Commission is to lead people toward a belief and identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, it's evangelism. It's sharing the good news of Jesus with others so that they can be baptized into God's family. So the application here is that we must share the gospel. Church, we have to tell people about Jesus. And no matter what that other weird quote that people like to attribute to random people says, we have to use words. You have to tell people about Jesus because your neighbor don't go to heaven because they have a Christian neighbor. Your friends don't go to heaven because, because you prayed for them. Your family doesn't get a ticket to heaven because they're related to a Christian. Listen to this, church. Nobody is going to heaven because they know a Christian. They are only going to heaven if they know Christ. So practically, I'd encourage you to, just, to do two things. First, pray. Pray for unbelievers. You pray generally for unbelievers, but pray specifically for people in your life who need to hear the good news about Jesus. And then second, learn how to articulate your faith. Know how to explain the gospel. And some people just know how to do this based on their understanding and knowledge of the scriptures. Some folks like to use different tools and illustrations like the four spiritual laws, the Roman road, the bridge illustration. There's the one minute witness. There's ways to use your testimony as long as you do it right. Weave the gospel in there because it's about Jesus, not about you. But I, I, I got to tell you, I know what the best method is. You guys want to hear what it is? It's an age-old question. What is the best method for sharing the gospel? So write this down. The best method for sharing the gospel is the one that you actually use. That's the, be the best method. Find a way to articulate the gospel and use it. That's the best method. We have to tell people about Jesus. If you're not comfortable with any way, you don't know how to share the gospel or tell people about Jesus, then find somebody to help you. Find a friend or a mentor or somebody sitting next to you that looks like they might know what they're talking about and ask them to help you out. And if you can't find anybody, come talk to one of the pastors and we'll either help you or we'll point you in the right direction and pair you up with somebody that can. You can even contact me and I'll send you some material I have that will help you get started on your own if you want. But the bottom line here is that the first step in making disciples is to introduce them to the one they are to be a disciple of. It's Jesus. But then once somebody's a believer, once they've been baptized or they're ready to be baptized, what do we do then? Just dunk them in the water, throw a towel at them and say, welcome to the church? There's some churches that do that. Shame on us if we are a church that thinks that getting people saved and baptized ends our responsibility. For those who become disciples, we are to teach them. And I say we collectively as a church. Just like a child isn't born with the knowledge of algebra or how to play a musical instrument, so the Christian is not born again with the knowledge of the things of God. Maybe some people were raised in a church or a Christian home and they a, 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 a greater baseline of knowledge. But they didn't have the spirit to teach them. And a lot of them come to faith like me with no foundation. And that's becoming more and more common with the younger generations. And here's the thing, church. We actually understand this whole concept of teaching very well. Because we do it great outside of the church. Right? We do it with our jobs. 
Right? So, and, and you often get an entry-level position or you start at the bottom or you get some other job and you learn more and then you learn more and you work your way up. And then as you work your way up, you, people will tell you, hey, here's the new guy. Why don't you teach them what you already know? And then maybe you become a manager or a supervisor where you're, you're helping people to do their job. We do this with our kids, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your kid wants to be in dance lessons, you don't put them in the Russian ballet. If your son wants to play baseball, you don't put them on a double-A minor league team. Right? You, you put them in t-ball. And you teach them the fundamentals and you, and you raise them up and you, and you grow them and you, and, you, and you have them learn more and more and more. And then they develop this love for what they're doing. And I'm talking about hobbies right now. They develop this love for what they're doing. They tell everybody else about it and they try to get everybody else to do what they're doing. And that's not a bad thing. But here's the thing, church. We will often sacrifice that sort of discipleship in the church to do it with things outside the church. Those things aren't bad. We should be a part of those things. In fact, we should be making disciples while we do those things. But if we took that same mentality and brought it into the church, and I think we have a healthy church that tries to do that desperately, but we need everybody to have a heart and a passion for this. So what is it that we're to teach? Surely there's the perfect curriculum out there. If you just read this book or do this study, right, step one, two, and three, I know I struggle with that, but why don't we just look at what Jesus says? What does Jesus say? Teach them what? To observe what I have commanded you. Boy, if only there was a place where the teachings and commands of Jesus were recorded for us. We are to teach them the Bible, to teach ourselves the Bible, teach them the Bible. Jesus is saying here, teach them what I have taught you. Paul says a similar thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, one of the greatest discipleship passages as well. He says, what you've heard from me, entrust to others who can teach others. But it's this idea of what you've heard from me. That stuff we have recorded for us. We are to be students of the word so that we can become teachers of the word. But before you begin teaching others the Bible, you need to ask yourself this question. Are you being taught from the Bible? Are you teachable to others? Because the concept is simple, that in order to teach the word, you've got to learn the word. Right? If you're going to share it with others, you've got to be in it. And that might sound sort of intimidating for those of you that maybe don't spend a lot of time in the word, but it should actually be encouraging for most of us. Because what that means is that you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a seminary graduate to teach the Bible to somebody or to just help them grow in their faith, to just come alongside them. You just need to know how to read the Bible. In fact, the Great Commission doesn't apply to just pastors and small group leaders. Right? That's just where it starts. So when do we start doing it? Is there like some test that we have to take or after five years of being a Christian or, or 20 years or after I've read the Bible five times or 10 times or what, what is it? The time is now, church. The time is now. The moment you are saved, you should strive to be telling other people about Jesus. Jesus healed a man and said, go home and tell your family what has happened. When he called the disciples from the very beginning, he said, come follow me and I will make you rich. I will make you healthy. I will make you comfortable. 
No, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Acts 1.8, in Acts 1.8, Jesus is telling the disciples that when they receive the Holy Spirit, they're gonna be his witnesses. If you're a believer, you've been marked with the seal, the Holy Spirit, and you are empowered to be a witness. And then we find ways to teach. And maybe you can't teach everyone, but you can teach someone. And the more you grow and mature in your faith, the more your ability to teach and help others in their faith will mature and grow as well. And this doesn't have to be formal. We're not, this doesn't mean you have to lead a life group or teach a workshop. It doesn't have to be that kind of teaching. In fact, so much, so much good discipleship and teaching happens informally. I have learned so much about the Christian life while taking a road trip with a brother or a mentor or over a cup of coffee or working on a car or painting a fence or going fishing. It just takes intentionality, church. You ha we have to be intentional with our time. What if you hung out with another believer and you just asked a simple question like, what's God been teaching you lately? Or hey, how can I help you in your walk with God? Or maybe we initiate it from the other side saying, man, I could really use some help. Will you read the Bible with me? Will you pray with me? Will you hold me accountable? And, 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 and we, we encourage mentor and mentee relationships and I encourage you to have those. Maybe it's just a brother or a sister. Just, just putting your arm around somebody and being like, hey, let's not do this alone. Let's read the Bible together. Let's pray together. Let's grow together. The beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't give us a prescription of how we are supposed to teach. He just tells us that we are supposed to teach and what we're supposed to teach. The Word. I know my life has been impacted tremendously by people who simply loved me and invested time in my life and in my walk with God. Some of them have had a more profound impact than any small group leader ever has. And that's not a knock on small group leaders. I'm just saying as small group leaders rotate and I've had to move to different churches over my life, those mentors and those brothers in Christ have always remained and they still remain. They encourage me and they mentor me and we encourage one another. And let me say this one last thing about the teaching part. If you are a disciple of Jesus who is teaching or helping other disciples? Do you know what one of the commands that you're supposed to teach them is? To go make disciples. It doesn't apply to just you. It applies to them as well. And this is where I think we often struggle because we just like to sort of build up our church and we teach. We find a few teachers in the church and we let them teach and teach and teach and teach. Right? But the goal of our teaching is not for the sake of academic or theological prowess. The goal isn't to win the life group Bible trivia competition. The goal of our discipleship, whether it's congregational or in, in our small groups or one-on-one or, or, or -on -one relationships, is to send out more disciples to make more disciples. I like to think of it like church planning just at a smaller level. Right? Don't think of it as, as this hard, horrible thing to do that I have to, I'm going to lose somebody from my group or, or break up on this relationship. You get to raise up somebody, pray for them, and send them out and do it joyfully. Because we're making more disciples. We're participating in the Great Commission when we do that. And there's so many ways to do that, like I said, informally or informally. Right? We don't need 60 life groups at Faith Church. We need 
all kinds of people to grab somebody walking through the door and say, hey, how are you? How can I help you? In, how can I help you today? How can I help you in your walk with God? And we need those relationships to be fostered. And I know this is hard, church. I know all this teaching. It's, it's, it's not hard to interpret. It's very hard to do. But the disciples did not listen to the Great Commission from Jesus and then walk off that mount, mountain thinking, ah, one of the other guys will do it. Or they didn't say, I'm too busy for that. But that's what we do. We hear the Great Commission. We know it's a command from Jesus. But we're not ready. Or we're not able. Or we're worried about what other people think. Or we're too busy. We're too busy with family or work or Facebook or video games or social activities or whatever else it is that we would rather be doing than making disciples. But somebody, was faith, somebody who was faithful to the Great Commission shared the gospel with you. Somebody who was faithful to the Great Commission shared the gospel with me. Somebody who was faithful to the Great Commission has prayed for you. And somebody has helped you and talked to you and encouraged you. The Great Commission did not end with the original disciples. It did not end with Paul and it does not end with us. It's a hard teaching. It's daunting. It's a challenge. But Jesus finished with this tremendous, if not miraculous, promise. He concludes by saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because I'm going to tell you something, church. The Great Commission is not easy. Even if you do it well, even if you're gifted in those things, you're going to run into obstacles and opposition. You're going to become discouraged and frustrated. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, sorry, this thing's cutting out. Uh, people are going to bail on you. People are going to break your heart. You're not going to see the fruit that you want to see. And if you do it on your own strength, you're going to want to give up. So don't do it on your own strength. And that's not my advice. That's God's advice. That's the advice that Jesus is giving to the disciples. It's the advice that we see throughout the scriptures. Even in the Old Testament, when God would commission people to go do his work and take his, you know, to, to go out to the nations to do things for him, he would always give them a promise and he would say that he would be with them in their inadequacy in order to do that work. We see it in Exodus 3 and 4, Joshua 1, Judges 6, Jeremiah 1. That's just the places that I wrote down. God has always promised that he wouldn't leave his servants alone if they step out in faith to obey him. And the same is true for you and I. When he says he'll be with us, that doesn't mean he's watching from the sidelines or like some coach just cheering us on. But you remember what, what, what he said in John 15 when he said that when the helper comes, the helper is the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, who I will send, you, send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. So when I send you the Holy Spirit, he will, be, he will bear witness about me. And you will also, be, will also bear witness. Brothers and sisters, if you're a disciple, if you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness. The Holy Spirit is the one who's gonna change people's hearts and minds and we simply are mouthpieces or vessels being used by God if we will submit ourselves to that. Here's the deal, church. We don't have to obey the Great Commission. We get to participate 
in the Great Commission. We get to participate in God's work. Remember that he is always with you. I know this isn't considered one of the great I am statements like we read about in John, but I do want to point out that Jesus says, I am with you. The great I am is with you as you go. The one with the authority that we read about a few verses earlier. The Great Commission is not isolated from the authority and the presence of God. It flows out of the authority and the presence of God. So we go in his strength. We evangelize in his strength. We teach and help others grow in his strength. And we strive to echo this exhortation from Paul in Colossians 1. And this is where I want to end the sermon here is with this. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul says, him we proclaim, Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. It's the first part of the Great Commission, right? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As we proclaim the gospel and we teach them so they can become mature in faith. And then he says this, for this I toil. He says, it's hard work struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Church, we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to do this on our own. We are, we are called to share the gospel with people, to help people grow. And we are called to grow. And what I'm asking you to do is as you grow in your faith, grab somebody else and say, come along with me. Let me help you. Let me show you. Let's do this together. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's Jesus' heart for discipleship, is that we become disciples. We, we grow as disciples and that we make more disciples. Now, I would normally end here with a prayer, the end of the sermon, but what I want to do is I actually want to take a moment to talk about some opportunities that we have here at Faith Church to get involved in discipleship. Now, I know that these are not comprehensive of every way that you can be part of discipleship in Faith Church, so I'm going to talk about a few things, and, and, and I know, right, that, 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 that it's not that if you, don't, if you don't do one of these, then you're not being discipled. That's not what I'm saying. But they are certainly great opportunities, and we want to facilitate those here. We don't claim to have cornered the market on discipleship, but we do want to help people grow. So, one of the things that we have going on, well, first of all, you should have, well, many of you have a green um, insert like this from your bulletin. Um, now, I understand that uh, we actually ran out of bulletins. That's a, a good problem for a church to have sometimes. Um, but there's a lot of information on here. So, but, but I'm about to cover it. So everything I'm going to cover is on here and everything on here I'm going to cover. So if you don't have one of these, then feel, feel free to grab your connection card and anything I say, write it on there and drop it in a basket out there or in an offering box. Um, or you can just come talk to me. Uh, you can give us a call. Uh, there's actually sign-up sheets out here for some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about as well. We've got a workshop. So in three weeks, September 13th, we're going to start doing a workshop at 9 a.m. during the first service, so you can come to the second service. We're going to do this workshop, and we're calling it the Christian Fundamentals. 
And I don't want that. I don't, I don't want you to dismiss the idea of being in, in a workshop about the fundamentals if you've just been a Christian for a while. First of all, right, we're never too good for the fundamentals. Right? Has anybody here mastered the basics of being a Christian? Because if so, I want you to teach the workshop. So there's a reason why we're doing this. First of all, if you're not a believer, you're curious about what it, what it means or what it looks like to, to, to walk with Christ, I'd encourage you to take that workshop. If you are a new or young believer and you want to know what it looks like to walk with Christ, I would encourage you to join us in that workshop. If you've never really been trained or never really learned the basics, you've just been kind of thrown into a, a seat or a pew in a church for years and never really learned these things, I'd encourage you to join us. I'd also encourage those of you that have been believers for a long time to join us. One, we, we, we could definitely use and love the, 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 the contribution and the participation and the conversation. It's almost like discipleship, right? Because it is. But even professional athletes go back to spring training, right? right? There's nothing wrong with going back to the fundamentals, and then also, for those of you who, who, who do want to be able to teach and help others grow in their faith, particularly young believers, I would encourage you to take that workshop because it will help you to build that foundation and that base. And, and I'm telling you guys, unashamedly, that is why we're doing this workshop. We could have picked some deep theological topic or some other thing, and, and, and we'll do those over the years and over the semesters. But, but as we foster and create this, this, this attitude and this heart for discipleship and helping one another, we want to make sure everybody has that foundation. Everybody has that baseline, understands the fundamentals and the basics. So if you're interested in that workshop, you can mark the box on here. You can write it on a connection card, drop it in one of the uh, baskets as you go out the doors. Or if you're in the multi-purpose room, you can drop it in one of the baskets that's by, by the, the table that's over there with the Bibles on it. You, there's also a sign-up sheet out there as well if you want to sign up on there. And for those of you who are watching on, on the video, um, I, I want to encourage you. So we want to make sure that we're uh, not forgetting about discipleship for those who are, are unable or, or not ready to join us yet. And so we're actually going to offer a virtual option for this workshop that'll be online. And the way that'll work is you let me know that you want to participate in that. Send me an email, call me, whatever it takes. Make sure that I know uh, you could just let the church office know. It'll get to me. Um, but what that'll be is it's going to be a group that's just for Faith Church where uh, I will invite you and you can sign up and then you will log in and each week and you'll watch the exact same videos we're watching over there in the, in the youth room for the workshop and then participate in a discussion board where we can discuss things with one another. And if there's enough people and an appetite for it, we may even do like a Zoom call or something where we can um, facilitate that discussion even more. Other than the workshop, we also have uh, discipleship groups. And what we call discipleship groups is sort of an umbrella term for three different kind of groups that we do. One is our life groups. Our life groups are co-ed uh, groups that meet in people's homes. Um, they study different topics, meet on different nights. Uh, and, and those, uh, we have a few of those that are open. And then we have a few new ones starting up as well. So if you're interested in being part of a life group, uh, where you could build those relationships and be in the Word. If you want to know what the, the, the groups do, you could just take a look at our blue banners around the building because those are our pillars of discipleship, and that's what we aim to do. Each, each group will do that a little bit different, but that's what we're aiming for. 
So if you're interested in one of those, let me know. Let the church office know. Put it on here. Put it on a connection card. You can sign up out there. There's actually a sign up out there for, there's a sheet for men's, women's, or life groups. So we also have men's groups. And our, our men's groups also meet at different places at different times. And so I didn't put them all on there. I would just tell you if you're interested in being, in part, being part of just a men's group, um, same thing. Let us know. Put it on there. What will happen is somebody from the men's ministry will follow up with you to help you get plugged into the right group. Um, just to back up a little bit, I'll do the same thing with the life groups. So I don't have a list of all of our life groups. Um, there's a few reasons for that. So what I do is I'll take your information and I'll get with the leaders and I'll do my best. Sometimes I'll give you options like, hey, there's this group or this group. It's based on children, uh, topics, night of the week that's best for you, all that kind of stuff. And then women's. Okay, we have a women's ministry as well. Um, Kim Alessandra will be in the, on the table out there as you walk out, she is our, our, the director of our women's ministry. And so there will be some, some women's Bible studies starting up at the end of September. And she's also doing a kickoff. The women's ministry is doing a kickoff on September 11th. Um, so you can sign up for that out there at her table or even um, here on the sheet. And then I want to talk about what, what, what if those don't work? What if you're not in one of those? The answer is not, I do nothing. Right? That's not the answer. If, you, if, if a life group isn't for you or one of those groups, or the workshop doesn't work out, we want you to be involved. We want you to be involved in the community and the life of the church, and we want you to be growing in your faith. And so what I would encourage you to do is, is get with others. Find somebody. Find somebody to be a mentor to you. Find somebody you can be a mentor to. Find a friend and just say, hey man, let's read the Bible together. Right, grab a sister in Christ and say, let's get together and, and pray regularly and begin to grow. And what will happen is you'll either have this great uh, uh, camaraderie and, and this wonderful one-on-one -on -one relationship where you grow together in your faith, or other people are going to join you because they want to be a part of that as well. So there's the informal part of that. But what I would encourage, encourage all of you to pray about is don't let the only thing you ever do be come to church on Sunday. Now we want you here. We think it starts here, but find a way to grow with others. Do great commission work, right? Be a disciple, grow as a disciple, and make more disciples. Hopefully you strive for all three. So when do we stop growing in our faith? We don't. Even those who are teaching and preaching and helping others are still growing. Right? But what they're doing is as they're growing, they're just sharing that with others. They're just helping others. They're saying, come along with me and let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son. Father, we would not be considered children of God. We would not be your disciples or your followers if it wasn't for the work of Jesus on the cross. And we worship you and thank you and submit to you for that, Lord. God, I pray that it would be so much 
more than that, Lord. I pray that our passion and our excitement and our thankfulness for what you've done for us would, would overflow and that we would share that with others. And I pray that we would share that with others who don't know you. And I pray that we would help those who do know you that we would encourage one another, that we would help each other grow, that we would be involved in each other's lives. God, I pray that we would realize that the Great Commission does not end with us, that it hasn't stopped, Lord. People need to know you. We need to know you. God, we need to worship you. So God, in our submission, in our obedience, and in our worship, teach us your commands. Teach us your words and help us to obey by participating in the work that you have for us. It's in your son's holy and precious and mighty and powerful name that we pray. Amen.